0: Due to harsh language and violent content, listener discretion is advised. The podcast which you are about to hear is an account of the horror suffered by a group of three adults, Stuart, Arnie, and Brock. Though they had experienced horror before, had they lived very, very long lives they could not have expected nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and the macabre as they were to see with this retrospective series. For them, a movie review podcast became a symphony of terror. The events of this viewing were to lead to one of the most bizarre podcasts in the annals of Internet history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre retrospective series.
1: Today, we're discussing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a space in it. Right. And not the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with no space in it, because that would be from, like, 2003. This is just Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2022.
0: Is there a direct article anywhere in there, like a the?
1: No, no the. But there is... A Massacre, as compared to the one two movies ago that was just about the Texas Chainsaw, but didn't have a massacre. Got it. Starring Sarah Yarkin, Elsie Fisher, Mark Burnham, Mo Dunford, Neil Hudson, Jessica Allain, Owen Fiore, Jacob Lattimore, and Alice Krieg, directed by David Blue Garcia. This is the now playing co-host who's always ready to be cancelled by a group of Austin people, Arnie. And Stuart.
0: And this is Brock, here again for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I'm surprised that they keep making Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Why do we keep making Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies?
1: Oh, this one I had hoped for, though. I mean, this one comes from some horror cred. This is produced by Fede Alvarez. He did the Evil Dead remake. He did Don't Breathe. He then did Don't Breathe 2. Not quite as good. Or even good. (laughs) (laughs) But if he was going to be the driving force behind this theatrical release, that gave me a lot of hope. And come on, Brock, we knew as soon as that Halloween
2: 2018 movie blew up so big, they were all coming back. The shocker really is we haven't had Freddy, and we haven't had some of the other big slasher stars do their requel. I mean, that's what we're calling this, when the idea is to try and get back to the classic original and bringing back as many elements as you can to gild the lily and make this a burnished sequel that you can be proud of that's obviously the intent and fede alvarez maybe he's the guy to do it i don't know if i'm super excited he's here but he did do a good job with the evil dead reboot
0: sure i mean there's the legacy sequels what they used to call it now they're calling it the re-sequel or whatever term you just use I requel, because they stink Requel, thank you. But I think the elements of adding all those things, I think, is trying to add legitimacy to it, right? That's the idea behind it. And in this situation, there's not many people who are still alive from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes,
2: that seems to be part of the problem with doing this legacy thing is Gunnar Hansen is not here. Marilyn Burns is not here. It probably means less that they're not here because we didn't know who they were outside the original. True. (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis, for example, is a big star. Her coming back to the franchise was notable to everyone. If Marilyn Burns was still alive and came back here, I wouldn't have been able to recognize her from this actress that is playing Sally.
0: Agreed.
1: Yeah, Marilyn Burns did show up in Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation. Did that add a lot of legitimacy to it (laughs) for you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, but again, I think you're right. The idea is to say that there is this... You know, rematch that needs to happen. It's been, well, let's do the math here. What, 50 years almost since the original? And we want to see Sally and Leatherface finish what they started on that farm road. You know, he was there dancing with an injured leg with that chainsaw. She was cackling in the back of a pickup. Where can we see the rest of the fight is what this movie is going to ask. Here it is.
0: But the question really is, is that a fight that we need to see? So like when we saw Halloween 2018 with Jamie Lee Curtis, the idea of her going all Sarah Connor and, you know, waiting for her chance to exact revenge on this guy seemed to make more sense to all three of us. Is this character one that we would think would go that way or would she get as far away from Texas as she possibly could That would seem to me the latter would be more realistic to me from a character perspective, but that's not the choice they made here. They made her stick around in Texas waiting for her chance.
1: I rewatched the original before this because I thought that Alright, I'll be honest, I didn't know Marilyn Burns was dead, I thought she was coming back. I knew her character was, I just assumed the actress was, I knew Gunnar Hansen wasn't coming back, but I didn't think it mattered who was under the mask necessarily. And having re-watched the original, no, she did not seem like she was going to go from screaming in hysterics in the back of a pickup truck into immediately being the one leading the hunt for this guy for 40 years. Would she stay in Texas? It's arguable that she, you know, was from Texas. She was visiting her grandfather's house in Texas. Might still be in Texas, but hunting Leatherface 40, 50 years later, probably not.
0: So, Arnie, I also watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1973, 1974 for this podcast, knowing that this was connected to it. And, you know, I'm really glad I did so we can have the comparison because this is supposed to be a direct sequel, especially with this plot line of this character. But I agree with you. In the back of that truck, I never got any inclination. Of course, to be fair, at the end of the original Terminator, Sarah Connor does have that one line, you're a terminated fucker. But honestly, would you think she would have gone all You know, Ripley and Aliens, more than likely not, if you had just watched that first movie, which is really a great idea.
2: I would also just throw out there that I don't feel the same way about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, or even the original, the way that I do Halloween. It isn't going to mean the same thing, that they're bringing this back again for some rematch, because we didn't care about Sally the way that we cared about Laurie. And you're talking about character. She was some blonde screaming in the night that got her like fingers sucked by a grandpa. Like (laughs) we remember more of the nightmarish decadence that befell her than we ever knew anything about who she was. It wasn't a story of her as a final girl. She just kind of lucked out and was the one that got away. And so we don't have a whole lot of mystery about who she is. That first movie didn't tease that. So to have her come back, did I want this? Did I need this? No. But if you're telling me we're making Texas Chainsaw Massacre 9, is this the best possible way to go? Perhaps. The idea that you're trying to get back to something that I liked after a lot of sequels that I did not, go for it. But who could be optimistic when this thing just appears on Netflix? (laughs) Like, out of nowhere.
1: Hey, now, don't look up. It appeared on Netflix, and it is nominated for Best Picture. So maybe this also will be nominated for Best Picture.
2: Yeah, The Irishman, you're right. This is definitely in the league of prestige Netflix releases.
0: But wait a second. We did discuss Chucky, which was a direct-to-streaming Movie, and we all seem to like that pretty much. Remember, the the latest one of the latest Chucky ones, remember?
2: So, I'm hearing your pushback because it is being dumped to Netflix in February. You don't see that as a bad sign.
0: Oh, Stuart, I started this entire episode saying, Why do we need another Texas Chainsaw Master? <laughs> <movie>? <laughs> Thank you. Okay.
2: Yeah, this was supposed to be for theaters, right? It got bad test screenings, mm-hmm. and they sold it whoever would take, and of course Netflix takes everything.
1: Yeah, admittedly, this does have more of a Cloverfield 3 stench around it. Mm, good comparison. Than a Irishman prestige Netflix film. But it was the second most watched movie on Netflix the week it came out, so there's obviously an appetite for flesh. Yeah, particularly when you already have a subscription and it's there. Again,
2: I think you're right. What would the ticket sales be had they released this in theaters around Halloween last year after Halloween Kills? It wouldn't have been Halloween Kills box office,
1: I can tell you that. I'll just say this. Uncharted opened to almost $50 million. And what our listeners said was, oh, you didn't review Texas Chainsaw? They wanted a review of Texas Chainsaw. We haven't gotten a single piece of feedback on Uncharted. <laughs> we get a feedback on every show. The only feedback we got on Uncharted is, why isn't it Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Okay. So I am seeing, among our listeners, more enthusiasm for Leatherface than for Tom Holland. All right, well then we'll take that cue, then let's get into it, I suppose. Yes, let's. Give us a plot summary,
2: Stuart. Well, it's been almost 50 years since Toby Hooper's original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in which a van full of hippies were turned into dinner for a family of redneck cannibals. Soul survivor Sally Hardesty barely escaped the blade of rampaging matriarch Leatherface and spent the decades that followed as a Texas Ranger hunting unsuccessfully for the burly crossdresser she left dancing with a buzzsaw by the side of the road. Part of the reason Sally never caught her attacker is because he wore a mask of stitched human flesh. Had she seen his true face, she might have easily recognized the brute as the tallest orphan living in Harlow, Texas.
0: (laughs) Anywhere. Anywhere in the world.
2: (laughs) Who's that kid that's six foot seven? Anyway, it turns out that the serial killer was domesticated by Virginia Mick an orphanage owner played by Borg Queen Alice Krieg (laughs) shortly after his long night with Sally. Now he lives a life of nonviolence with other wayward children, and though he doesn't like the way he looks, the leather mask is gone, the chainsaw is buried in the wall, and he seems to be pretty happy until those damn social media influencers blow into town and try to change the culture by tearing down Confederate flags and erecting vegan eateries. It's all the brainchild of entrepreneur Melody and social media chef Dante who envisioned Harlow becoming a haven from big city violence and have invited a bus full of Bitcoin investors to buy up Main Street properties and turn it all into hipsterville. Melody informs Virginia she's no longer the rightful owner of the orphanage, even though she can't produce the proper paperwork to say that it's hers. And the shock of this news gives the orphanage owner a heart attack, and she dies as the sheriff is forcibly removing her from the place. Virginia's last wish is that her big boy not don the dress and go nuts like he's want to, but her passing is an invitation for Leatherface to be Leatherface again. He slices off Virginia's own face, wears it as his own, breaks out the power tools, and begins to execute the lawmen and a party bus full of influencers. Ranger Sally blows into Harlow with guns blazing, but she's too late to save anyone but Melody and her younger sister Lila, played by Elsie Fisher, star of a claimed coming-of-age movie, Eighth Grade. Lila already had been baptized in blood because she survived a mass school shooting, so it's cathartic for her to now pick up a semi-automatic rifle and fight back. The bad guy is knocked into a pool of water in a flooded movie theater, and the girls prepare to leave him in this failed utopia, but as their driverless car is programmed to take them back to Austin, Leatherface pops up to saw off Mel's head and do his climactic street dance one more time as credits roll.
0: That plot summary was almost longer than the movie. (laughs) Yeah, well,
2: it's it's a short movie. I want to say, with very long credits, it barely hits 80 minutes.
0: I loved your commentary, your social commentary using Bitcoin and social influencers and all that kind of stuff, because that's really what they're trying to channel here with this. They're really trying to modernize it. And I like that aspect of the screenplay very much, that they decided to take a lot of things of the day, including school shootings, and bring them into as plot points and character development and situational instances that would put all these people in the situation to be here is it high art is it going to be nominated as we talked about no but bravo to them for trying to bring all these things in to make this a more relevant now kind of movie
1: really It feels more like parody to me. It doesn't feel like they're really tapping into the zeitgeist with Bitcoin and school shootings so much as they're taking buzz headlines and putting it in a blender and then adding a chainsaw and
0: the result is this nasty tasting smoothie. I think during the bus scene, it absolutely is parody when he goes from that bus and just starts killing everybody. And that's basically a commentary on screw this shit. This kind of thing is going away. But I like that the beginning of this movie, especially how they bring all these aspects in to try to make this more of today, especially if they're doing requel.
2: Yeah, if you're going to do a requel, then we have to have another van full of kids. And if the first movie was 1973 and it has the metaphors of the Vietnam War and maybe it's about veganism or slaughter, you know, like all of those ideas, what is the equivalence today? Yes, we live in a culture of mass school shootings and violence is desensitized a lot of kids. And the new generation says, we don't want to be a part of that. We want to find a place where we can go to be ourselves free of that blood and horrible legacy. Ironically, it's the same town where Leatherface has gone to do the same thing. And that will be the culture clash.
1: If this town is somewhere near Austin, I could see this kind of seeming like a logical idea. If it's, you know, more in-state, perhaps not the greatest clientele to be found there for your vegan eateries. But, you know what, if you can't get Marilyn Burns back... I had serious hope for this movie when I found out they got John Larroquette back. John (laughs) Larroquette doesn't work very much. He doesn't have to work. He's got a shelf full of Emmys and a bank full of cash. So even if he just went into his office and spent five minutes doing this narration, I was glad to hear him doing a new narration for this opening. And ironically, it's... A movie within a movie. They have Todd Larroquette narrating a documentary about the unsolved 1974 murders. Yeah, it's a good thing for people that didn't see the original,
2: that want to know what happened. It sort of catches you up about Sally being the sole survivor. And for those that love and cherish the original... Yes. Here is the guy that went on to great fame narrating the first movie was his first gig, right? Like, he wasn't anybody, and then he went (laughs) on to be a sitcom star. I'm still not convinced he's a big somebody, but this is about as big as it gets as far as legacy, right? If you want to talk about what feels like it's tied to the original, John Larroquette is the only thing coming back. Not Toby Hooper, not the stars. It's not even going to be the same town, the same farmhouse, the same location. Obviously, the kids are different. The only thing that's consistent is John Larroquette.
1: And I like that when you pull out, we're in like the shop that has the I Chainsaw Texas shirt and things. I mean, I think I've seen that shirt at horror cons (laughs) and things, but I'm like, I would wear that shirt. Would
2: you buy a corkscrew for 15 bucks that looked like a chainsaw, though? That seemed like a big ripoff, even for a tourist trap.
0: Yeah, I agree. It reminded me of Roswell, all those kitschy things at Roswell. And I would definitely buy some kitschy alien souvenirs in Roswell. So I thought that was ironically funny. $15, you're right. I don't need a corkscrew.
1: You guys haven't been to Texas, tourist shops are huge, and yes, there are Texas corkscrews that would cost $15 and $7 postcards, I mean, Texas tourism, and notice not everything they have there is Texas Chainsaw, they've got their good share, but they've also just got the Texas Star on cups and things, these shops exist... Right. No, I get that. It's
2: someone that his name's Herb, the proprietor of this gas station, has chosen to exploit what happened 50 years ago. And Lila seems curious to the survivor. Now, I don't know how long it took you guys to figure out what's going on, but I think it's telegraphed pretty early that Lila is suffering trauma and we'll see her look at her social media post and it's filled with we will remember and she reflexively like draws her coat to her to cover a bullet hole in her neck. I think long before we're told that she's a school shooting survivor, we could infer that.
0: Oh, I definitely did. Immediately. I figured out exactly what was going on. And I I think that her sister, Melanie, kind of tipped me off with the way she was talking to her.
1: I knew there was some trauma. I saw her cover something up. I thought it might have been a cigar burn. You know, maybe there was abuse or something like that. I didn't go straight to school shooting, but I figured there was something up with her. And I think the reason why I think
2: school shooting is the only thing I associate with this actress is this kind of heart-wrenching movie of coming of age. Eighth grade, I don't know if you saw it. She looks like she's well beyond eighth grade at this point. Like, she don't look like an eighth grader. She looks like she graduated high school.
0: Indeed. I saw Eighth Grade. I thought she was great. I don't remember school shootings being in there, but there's plenty of bad trauma that people experience as that age when regarding socialization and who's cool, who's not cool, and all that kind of stuff. So she did a really great performance. I highly recommend that movie. Check it out. So
1: when talking to Herb, we find out a little bit about... What happened post-Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he's talking about how Leatherface was never found because he wore a mask and everything. And I'm immediately bothered by the plausibility of this. Because at the end of the first movie, Sally hops into a truck. Mm -hmm. The trucker would obviously have some idea where he picked him up. Plus, there's the other trucker, the semi-truck driver, who ran away from Leatherface (laughs) after throwing that wrench. So you've got a couple witnesses and a semi-truck left on the spot where the house is. Now, if Leatherface was a lone agent of solo actor here, perhaps he could disappear after doing his chainsaw dance, give himself some stitches for where he cut his own leg or something. But you had a house... And in that house was a family, and one of the big things that had always separated Texas Chainsaw Massacre in its best incarnations from Jason, from Freddy, is the inclusion of a family of deranged cannibals and not just Leatherface as your lone psycho here. And so, that Sally probably went back there... And you never found the cook? You never found the hitchhiker's body? Or what about Grandpa? Grandpa wasn't going too
0: many places. And the house is full of bones and it looks like decrepit. So you can absolutely, there's a deed on the house. Who owns the house? Things like that. Yeah.
2: We actually saw in, in I think, the 3D movie, we did see the cops pull into there a few hours later. We saw that standoff and Leatherface Got away. I don't think they're including that timeline in here. Right. But you could infer that the family got wiped out, and Leatherface was homeless, an orphan. Oliver Twist, wandering the lone roads of Texas, looking for a new home.
0: Yeah, he's in an orphanage, so that, that must imply that. So he had to find a new home. Okay. But the woman at the orphanage seems to know who he is, what he did. Yeah.
2: I figured school shooting pretty quickly. It's harder to figure out what they're doing. They're trying to catch a bus. I thought they were tourists. And then, you know, like the gas station guy calls them gentry fuckers. And we know who you are. And it's implied that they're just doing something. They meet a redneck. The guy that actually fixed up the town for them, he calls them a cult. We see their social media feed and the guy's a chef. I don't think that it's clear enough that they want to create a
1: haven from violence in Harlow. This guy is not a chef. He doesn't have nearly enough tattoos to be a chef.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think they made him a chef, right? Because of the original one, they had the chef aspect of it, right? He's the cook, right? Yeah. And I like the guy at the beginning with the gun, who the guy who ends up being a nice guy. I, I thought he was in place of the Hitchhiker, the original Hitchhiker, right? So I kind of like what they were doing in this beginning scene, and uh, they explained everything going on, that they had aspects of the original movie in a different way.
2: Yeah. You would think that Richter is his name- When he blows in and has the gun on his belt and all of that and is doing his Texas tough guy routine, that he must be connected to all of this. And when we get into town and we meet the orphanage owner, Mrs. Mick, you would also think that she was all part of the family. If you hadn't had the movie fresh in your mind from 1973, you might really have thought that they were there as characters or something. So, like, it's weird to find out that they have no association with cannibalism and what went down with Leatherface originally.
1: Yeah, I actually don't know if this movie intended to do this or if it's just luck, but by having all of these... California people come to Texas is really tapping into the zeitgeist right now because Texas is being flooded by California people Mm -hmm. and to a lesser degree, New York people. There's the big movement, Don't Californicate Texas, because Texas is turning purple, if not blue, due to the influx of liberals in the classically conservative state. Beto O'Rourke has a decent chance of becoming governor. So It really is topical to have all these people come in with their West Coast ideas and not be very welcomed by the Texas natives.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. The setup's pretty good. If you're setting the stage for what a massacre with a chainsaw would be in 2022 in Texas, this sort of captures the culture war. Pretty good. And so, yes... Uh, The only thing that's confusing is what sets them off is a Confederate flag, and it looks like a Confederate soldier in the main square. Leatherface didn't put that stuff there. He's not a Confederate flag-waving redneck. Like, that's not what he represents. He's kind of guilty by association, but they're attacking a culture (laughs) that has nothing to do with Leatherface.
0: They also have a Confederate soldier statue in town, too. That doesn't seem to bother him, just the just the Confederate flag. But the Confederate flag is standing in here for, we need some conflict, let's go. Yes, he's African-American, Confederate flag is a hot-button issue in today's society, but it seemed to me that it was a little out of the blue. To me, that is what set everything off.
1: When I think of the Civil War, I don't necessarily think of Texas. There weren't a lot of battles this far south and things, so... But I wouldn't be surprised if I saw Confederate flags in Texas. Sure. But I don't think it was necessarily even necessarily an affront to Dante so much as we've got investors coming and this is a bad look for the investors. Sure. We need to get that down for them. Are we supposed to take this movie, both this and later on, the cancel culture comment? Are we supposed to get... A message of these weak millennials and their simple
2: solutions to problems. We're just going to blow in and put it on social media and change
1: the world. Yes, absolutely. And the result is, it's that whole thing of the fact that they're so soft and just think that, you know, words hurt. And so they're going to find out chainsaws hurt worse yeah snowflake yeah for sure yeah that's the word I'm looking for snowflake thank you I definitely think that the screenplay
2: is pitched for us to ultimately have way more empathy for Leatherface than for (laughs) these kids absolutely they kill his mom Because this orphanage woman is told wrongly, she doesn't own this place anymore. And because they tell her, go find a shelter as they rip down a flag that, again, she's talking about, it reminds me of my grandpa. And I'm thinking that's grandpa from the first movie, but it's not. They're muddying the waters here by bringing in that Southern culture debate. But what do you guys think? Is that fair? Were you happy to see that? I guess, was it satisfying to think Leatherface is going to chop up some of these social justice warriors?
0: I remember we had a big debate or conversation anyway on our original Texas Chainsaw Massacre about the comedy of the original movie and how Stuart thought comedy was some, there's something funny there. Mm-hmm. After the initial half of the movie, I started seeing this commentary, humor aspects of the movie. So, what you're asking, I mean, this new one we're talking about today, I saw the humor for sure in the second half. Hard to miss. Yeah. So, are we supposed to think this entire movie is that way? I don't think so. I think the movie just starts taking a different bent after a while. Virginia dying.
2: They killed his mom. Like, we see Leatherface standing at the top of the stairs. He's not crazy anymore. He doesn't just kill people. He's not even eating cannibal meat. They sit down for sweet tea, and it looks like it's regular food and all of that. Like, his mama was trying to be a gracious host and work with these kids, and they said, you're canceled, you're out of here, She has a heart attack and dies, and he says, let me find my power
0: tools. Yeah, so I don't think that's funny, necessarily. I just think that's not where the comedy lies for me.
2: No!
1: No, her her death is not played for comedy at all. And this whole thing that Leatherface could be domesticated. You know, we see this Hulk at the top of the stairs, and we don't see his face. His hair is down in his face. And I'm thinking... They're messing with me. I'm thinking there's no way this is actually Leatherface. This is fake Leatherface. We're going to find out that this is just some guy and Leatherface is going to come in here. I thought it was way too obvious and honestly way too early in this movie to bring Leatherface in and say he's been living as a... I mean, this guy's got to be 70. Yeah, yeah.
2: She's probably 70. If it's been 50 years, she was what, 30 running the orphanage?
1: Well, she's 80? Ooh, okay. Yeah, if he was 20. 20- In Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I would have thought older than 20, then he would be 70. So he's 70 to 75. But that's true in Halloween. I mean, the new Michael Myers is 60 years old.
0: Right. But also, you brought up new Halloween. Hiding his face is very much like the new Halloween movie, right? We just talked about Halloween Kills. They do everything they possibly can but show his face, right? So it's exactly the same idea. They're definitely borrowing from that. But I agree with Arnie. I didn't think this was – I called him the big guy until it becomes absolutely apparent it's him, I thought they were trying to throw us a curveball.
2: You could even argue it's not him. He has become something else. We never get a name. She just calls her her boy. But we see Melody look at a photograph from 1975 of all the kids that were in the orphanage, and he's so ashamed of, like, how he looks, or maybe he's afraid of being recognized, that he has Xed out, you know, his features on that photo. And so I think we're supposed to conclude early on That he somehow stumbled to Harlow, and because he was treated nicely. When he lived with cannibals, he behaved as cannibals. And he lives with a nice woman that likes Confederate flags. He's happily her caretaker and doesn't like to see the flag torn down.
1: And he cooked for her, I'm sure. Right.
2: (laughs) And she knows when she's dying, she turns to him and says, don't go into my closet. You know, like her way of saying don't be a killer is I know when you cross dress what you do. I took the dresses away from you. I took the makeup and all of that, which, again, that's not going to play well for these millennial social justice warriors. Transphobic, (laughs) they're going to (laughs) scream. But they're going to say what makes Leatherface a killer is when he puts on that face of a woman. Puts on red lipstick and wears a dress.
1: And it's almost instant because this woman is dying in the back of the sheriff's van. They don't really have an ambulance. You just have the sheriff and the deputy. It's a panel truck. It's not even like a police vehicle. It's like something a roofer would have if you (laughs) called it. You know, know, this ghost town isn't providing much in the way of tax revenue. Clearly. (laughs) Can't update the vehicle's. And then, so, Leatherface immediately grabs the deputy's arm, because the deputy's like, stop messing with the oxygen tank, and now we see Leatherface is superhuman. What we saw in that first movie, if this is just a sequel to the first movie, and I'd say it could be argued, you could keep all the other movies into continuity in certain ways, because it doesn't rule anything out, but he is superhuman and Breaks the deputy's arm in half, the bone comes out, there's a car crash, and everybody's hurt except for him. We are dealing with, I'll say it right now, I don't feel we're in a Texas Chainsaw movie at this point. I feel like we're in a slasher. It could be Jason, it might be Michael Myers, but he is no longer just a cross dressing cannibal. He's a superhuman killer.
2: Right. And I'm going to dig a little deeper into that and ask. Would this movie be better if it wasn't trying to evoke a movie from 1973 that it's not really that interested in exploring those characters?
0: I think so. I'll be honest with you. When he broke the guy's hand and stabbed him in the neck with the bones, my jaw dropped. I was so surprised by it. Yeah, I agree. It was a good kill. It was a wonderful kill. It was remarkably done. And it was just one of those, I did not expect that in a Texas chainsaw movie. Mm And that whole scene, and you go back and forth to it, but the makeup on the blonde girl who survives with a big bump on her head, that was really good. The way the guy who was driving the truck gets shot, it all seems to make sense and flow, and it really was like out of a horror movie, but not a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And so you're absolutely right. It was really well done, but does this need to be a Texas Chainsaw movie?
1: Yeah, I'll just jump to my final thought here then. Whatever I think of this movie, it's a bad Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Mm -hmm. If what you want is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for part two or even part four, which I claim is an underrated hysterical gem, (laughs) I think that this is not going to be what you want. Now, if you're just coming for a slasher, a Victor Crowley type thing, you know, maybe this will have some appeal and that's... That's how I'm going to have to judge this movie, because judging it as a requel to Texas Chainsaw, it's instantly failed because it's not going back to that original. It's not going to try to recapture the feel and say, like, oh, everything these other sequels have done got too far away from where we started. I mean, just because a grill opens and you hear that sound effect from the flashbulbs from that first movie does not make this a nostalgic trip.
2: Yeah, they might as well have Busta Rhymes playing the chef or LL Cool J. Like this feels like a later Halloween movie. Mm -hmm. This does not feel like trying to get back to a gritty 70s early slasher film. It doesn't have that vibe. It doesn't have those ambitions. Obviously it's it's a new generation you talk about their topics but you could still frame this movie so that it felt like the way Toby Hooper made the story unfold in the original and they don't you're absolutely right I mean the fact that he's cutting off a woman's face and wearing it as his own a character that was not in the original movie that we just met in this movie no if you if you want a legacy you talk about why he wore that original face who was the woman that he first put on? To put on this woman's face is to say we're doing a new thing.
0: Also, it, it doesn't make much sense how he put it right on and it fit perfectly and never fell off throughout the whole movie. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, dumb. But maybe because I rewatched the original one because they said this was tied to it, there's still that uncomfortable, gritty, gristly intensity that that first movie still has, even every time you watch it, yes. right? And this one doesn't have. Any of that. No. But we talked about a lot of sequels to this movie, and some of them were better than others, and you can hear that on our podcasts. But how many of these sequels actually even came close to that, right? So is it fair for me to say this movie didn't have that at all? And I say yes, because they're trying to tie into the original movie. Oh yeah, absolutely
1: it's fair. It's completely fair to say Texas Chainsaw 2 isn't a great sequel, despite having Toby Hooper back, because it is so far removed from that first film. So, I think that for a requel, they shouldn't be so slick- and they shouldn't be dealing with a superhuman killer. Because right now, the way Leatherface is depicted here, I almost feel you could cut his leg with a chainsaw, and he'd be like, and? Versus in that original film where he fell and that chainsaw cut his leg and it really hurt him a lot. (laughs) Still, you don't
2: want to have a serial killer that's every bit of his 70 years and has a bad back and can't lift the chainsaw anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you recognize the need to create fear by making him invincible. I will give the movie that. Yes, it's illogical when you consider his age and all that they've set up. And yes, I think we're all saying this doesn't feel very much like that first one and you're, and they're not getting there. But it hasn't closed the door on this being a green arrow. Can this just be a dumb slasher that has something to say about the here and now? But anyway, yeah, they take out this blonde chick here who is, I think, Dante's fiancé or wife or something like that. We really had no chance to get to know her. And he has his leather
0: face... And the girl's in the truck trying to figure out her move, right? And trying to figure out how she's going to get out of this without getting killed. And she decides, instead of going out the door, to go to the other side of the door, other side of the truck to the driver's side, all that kind of stuff. And the guy is still alive. All of that was working for me. Because I'm saying to myself, stay in the car, act dead, stay in the car, act dead. So I'm actually interested, the way they filmed it, the way that she acted it, there's some tension here about, can she survive this? Until she doesn't. So I want to give the film props here that that whole sequence really worked.
1: And her death to me drove home that I don't think the filmmakers paid much attention to the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) when they made this one. Because remember, all the kills in the first one, I put the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre right next to the Smith's Mead is Murder song, right? Everything was about butchering. Yeah. They killed the people like you kill the cows, and you'd slaughter them like you'd slaughter beef, and you ended up eating them like you'd eat a steak. And here, he's just using broken glass and gutting the woman. It's like, okay, this is now a revenge film, and yes. yeah. yeah, you might be cheering for Leatherface. And that's one of the things we've often talked about here is, do you relate to the victim or do you relate to the killer? Right now, Leatherface has a lot more going for his motivation than Dante. Particularly when you consider
2: that this poor woman like, was on the radio saying, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> the gas station attendant heard it, chose not to help her, but instead calls Sally. And is like, you handle this. I think we finally found that somehow he knows from the gurgles on the CB radio that this is the latest killing from the man that Sally's been trying to find for 40 years.
0: Well, she says she put the face on over the CB. Like she actually says it over the radio that he just put this woman's face on or something like that. So that's how he knows it's the call for Sally.
2: Okay, fair enough. You're right. I don't know that I would conclude that, but he speed dials are Jamie Lee Curtis. And we have this actress looking very rough and hardened, looking very much like Jamie Lee Curtis in 2018's Halloween, gutting a pig and, and then grabbing her
1: cowboy hat and guns and heading out to Harlow. Her introduction gutting the pig made me think that we were really going to get these parallels of how her interaction with the butchers made her a butcher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she saw all that in the slaughterhouse and now she's slaughtering the pig. And I don't know that they really get there, but it would have been nicer. I mean, I understand Marilyn Burns is dead. You can't do some spell to bring her back from a pet cemetery just for a sequel. But without having it be Marilyn Burns, this Carries no weight for me. And it's In fact, Agreed. I'm surprised how little she does in this movie.
0: I agree completely. But what I thought they were going to do with the guy with the phone was there's something about that original movie that no one is safe because this whole town, quote unquote, is in on it. Everyone they interact with in that original Texas Chainsaw is in on it, right? So I was hoping that with this convenience store guy and who she he was calling, that everybody was in on it. So there's nowhere for them to hide, nowhere for them to go. That aspect's not here at all.
1: Yeah, they did that in the much better Texas Chainsaw
0: Massacre remake. With R.E. Lee Ermey. Yes, that's one of the things we liked about it. Yeah.
1: Again,
2: Leatherface wandered so far away from his own culture to land at another one. And so I don't feel like it has much to say about where his roots are, consequently. But yes, this is where we get into the second act of him basically killing a bunch of people. It starts with Dante. He's feeling a little guilty because they looked at the paperwork and sure enough, (laughs) that orphanage lady, it was hers. They shouldn't have kicked her out. And there's not much time to reflect because he gets a meat cleaver in the face.
0: He went down pretty quick, but... Later on when he's walking around the town with his face all cut up, that was a really cool makeup effect. I have to give props. That was like his, haste was like his face was like ripped open. It was remarkable.
1: Yeah, I thought for sure he was dead immediately when he gets this cleaver. And the fact that he survives and he goes around with his face hanging off, probably one of the best moments of this film as far as gruesome horror, body
0: horror type stuff. So many people get what looks like finishing blows and end up still being alive in this movie. Like, it happens over and over. It's
1: because there's only four characters.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's it makes it comical. When I think about that original, yes, there was a satirical funniness, a crazy, demented, like, laughing, covered in blood kind of funny, the way that Marilyn Burns was at the end. But it wasn't, like, yuck, yuck kind of jokes. You know, like, this is, like... Yeah, he's wandering around and the redneck walks up to him and he turns around. We're supposed to like go "Eh?" when we see his face. It's kind of a punchline is I guess what I'd say because they're not making it realistic. It kind of
0: looks Looney Tunes. Right. But how cool was it when we see his death through the swinging kitchen door? Right. And that was really a cool shot. That was a really cool effect that it swings open. You see him get hit. Swings, it's closed. Things open again. You see him getting hit. That was a really good idea, Mm -hmm. again, for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Maybe not. But for a horror movie, yeah, that was a lot of fun to see that imagery. Really well done. Really well shot. Really well set up. Bravo to them for thinking of that idea.
2: But are we into these kills? I mean, the problem is, like, when Richter wants to go in there and fight with him and we find out that he's not a collaborator – That it's not that Leatherface corrupted a new town and has allies here. He's on his own. And that even the guy that didn't want to tear down the Confederate flag is turning on him.
1: It makes it less interesting. So then I wonder, is the message here, liberal, conservative, you're all meat for the chainsaw?
2: Messaging gets muddy, is what I would say. I felt like the movie's stronger when it takes the stance that these kids brought this on themselves. Because they weren't respectful.
0: An equal opportunity killer, though, wouldn't you say? He kills men, women, all races, all types. I mean, that's what his MO is, right? He'll just kill anybody who's around today.
1: But it does seem like his revenge should be on the kids who killed his surrogate mother. And even the people on the bus who have come to enable those who killed the surrogate mother, killing the townie seems to muddy things a little bit. But it was nice to see that turn of the character who absolutely hated Dante and took his keys and was like you killed that woman and then when he sees Dante's face all cut open at least you see some humanity there he is not a collaborator he's like oh shit let me try to help you even though moments ago I was Completely hating you. Mm, I, I wish that were interesting.
2: I yes, it is a turn for the character. It's something you wouldn't expect, but I don't care about Richter. And ultimately his purpose is to introduce a gun into a town that claimed it was a haven from violence. You have to have a reason why they have weapons, because all of these people are moving here to start Dontopia, right? I think is what <laughs> they were going to call it.
0: But I do want to give a couple of compliments to this whole sequence. First of all, I could not get, see you at the party, Richter, out of my head every time I said Richter. Couldn't do it. (laughs) So the entire time I'm laughing his name is Richter, but that's just my own baggage. I did like that the girl was hiding in the closet and Leatherface was pulling out the stuff and she had to watch this whole thing hiding in that little corner of the closet. And then she got a chance to hide under the bed and watch the entire thing under the bed. So this actress, her reactions to the horror that's going on, is the closest thing I think we get to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those aspects of it, I really enjoyed, and I thought she did a good job. Sarah Yarkin, and we've seen her, I think, in uh, Happy Death Day 2, I think she was in. Yep. And I liked her here. She didn't have a lot of lines in this entire sequence, but you really did see that she's just desperate to survive, and what can she do? So the chainsaw.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This guy shows up at your orphanage... Carrying a bloody chainsaw with a chainsaw wound in his own leg. Wearing a a mask of, of, don't forget the like, a a woman's face (laughs) on him. (laughs) That's true. And so you take the chainsaw and you don't throw it out. You don't put it in a tool shed. You don't take it to a used tool store. You put it in some drywall in the wall. It's like
2: money in a mattress, right? You never know when you might need it. It's like John Wick. It's full of
0: gasoline all this time.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's ready to go. It's totally ready to go. I never really reformed. I just kind of like the food here.
0: Yeah, I don't get it. If I leave my snowblower in the garage for an entire winter, the oil and stuff congeals. You yes. have to get that serviced.
1: Yes. You've got to oil the blades. How is the chain not rusty and breaking off? I mean, I would have been okay if he went into Richter's garage and found richter's tools and there was a new chainsaw but that he's pulling this 1965 (laughs) chainsaw that theoretically hasn't been used in 50 years and it starts right up all i can say is they don't make tools like they used to that's true that's exactly
2: right
1: so yes uh, absurd sure
2: but again (laughs) i don't think that this movie's best moments are where it's avoiding absurdity we're laughing that dante got a cleaver in the face and he's still walking around the town
1: but once he has the chainsaw, that is when Melody makes a break for it. He's cutting through the floor. And does he cut through a sewage pipe? Does she get yes. dumped on yes. with shit? Yeah, it's yes. like a Jaws
2: moment. They decided, it's, again, some of these ideas are conceptually funny. And thus might work in the kind of movie that's celebrating absurd, sort of Sam Raimi kind of gore. But yeah, she's crawling around underneath the house. She got thrown through the floor. He's coming and, like, it's a shark fin, like, not to go LL <laughs> on you, but it, it, it's like a shark fin coming at her while she's crawling. And the only thing that saves her is that he runs into the sewage pipe and that it spits. I mean, again, that is a funny gag. That is a Sam Raimi gag. That is not a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1973 gag.
0: The the chainsaw through the sewage pipe is a gag for sure, but the thing that it comes through the ceiling, the floor, at her, and she's trapped in yet another confined space, closet, under the bed, under the house. Just want to point that out. She keeps fighting herself in these little confined spaces. But give give some credit here. That was a really cool visual with a thing coming down until it hit the sewage pipe, which then became funny. I loved that she tipped the mirror towards the door so Richter could see that the guy's behind the door. I liked all these little aspects of trying to be smart, And trying to show us something interesting. I'm on board with this is not a Texas Chainsaw movie. But what I do like are some of the ideas and the way that they're conceptualizing it. And then the visuals coming through. This is really well. Those shots of the chainsaw coming through the ceiling. The floor, whatever you want to call it. Above her head. Were really well done. Like It was really incredibly technically savvy to really convey that she was in a tight quarter. And she had nowhere to go with this blade coming at her. It was good.
1: Yeah, I'll agree that as far as the camera work and the lighting go of this movie, I like it. I like that different locales have completely different lighting schemes. Richter's office is more orange. Everything on the bus is more blue. Once the sun goes down, I feel like they're really trying for something in regards to having an artistic style and a unique look to this film to set it apart it's you know certainly not something toby hooper would have ever done but it's unique
0: we keep talking about what Toby Hooper would have done, right? As if he's a visionary.
1: <laughs> Actually, what I was saying is a little bit of a diss to him. Oh, Toby okay. Toby Hooper never would have focused on lighting.
0: Oh, <laughs> okay. But the original movie is a classic for a reason, and that thing is amazing. We talked about how he may or may not have directed Poltergeist because it very much feels like a Steven Spielberg movie. But to me, Toby Hooper—no disrespect to him, honestly—but to me, he had that one amazing piece of cinema, and after that, that's it.
2: Yeah, he lucked out. Then he made the mangler. Yeah, I agree. He
1: sucks.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I don't want to disrespect, but yeah, so- <laughs>
1: like no disrespect to him. I don't know that we've ever shown much respect to him. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I agree.
0: I'm uh, not going to revere the man.
2: No, uh, but the point is they told us we're trying to get back to what he did in the original and what we're finding that what we like has nothing to do with the original. And I'm hearing a lot of positivity. I'm a little less high than you guys are. It's like a dumb slasher movie, but I'm not hating the movie, I guess is what I would say. You seem to be really enjoying it. I'm saying,
1: eh, it's competent. What I'm saying is, as a dumb slasher movie, and that's where I had to actually notch my brain mid-movie, is, okay, I gotta take out the fact that I watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre yesterday and just be like... What if this was Jason? What if this was Victor Crowley? What if this was a new slasher killer? How would I feel about this movie? Because as I said earlier, shitty Texas Chainsaw movie, so how can it just be, as a dumb fun slasher, Friday the 13th Part 13, where would I be sitting with this? And when Leatherface gets on that bus, I think... They have a smile on my face when that one guy is was like, you're so canceled, dude. <laughs> and he's tick tocking leather face there. And then you see the comments come up like, is this real? Yeah. <laughs> all of that. that was hysterical. Try anything and you're
2: canceled, dude. Is this movie's do your thing? Because yes. <laughs> this is where the movie announces we're done
1: being anything high class. <laughs> like this is trash. But do your thing because has become like this heartwarming term to me like that movie i think could be reevaluated for its stupidity and actually come out in brown arrow territory it feels a lot like this movie i mean is what i would
0: say i laughed out loud hard when he comes in with the chainsaw and the first thing all those millennial kids do is pick up their phones, take a picture. I laughed my head off because that was like all of them blank faces and they have no idea what danger they're in right now. And then he says that line with the cancel culture. I'm like, oh, they just ruined that moment to me. Because <laughs> I would have liked it if they didn't make the joke afterwards, the one joke of them putting up the phones for the picture was enough. But then it, when they had the whole streaming of like the live stream and all that, I saw the comedy, and what they were going for. But I didn't find it as entertaining as that one image of them all taking pictures
2: because they've gone too far I mean this is an element of tone like it's one thing to have a little bit of a laugh it's another thing to turn it into Mel Brooks farce and now that's where we're at we're having him like run a chainsaw through a dude so it looks like his erect penis and then having him fuck a girl with it like oh yeah. okay well and here's my thought on that I could probably enjoy that in a different movie but what you were doing particularly in evoking school shootings and all of that like tonally there's a lot of problems here You went and took something topical and hot button and now you're turning it into trash and it shows you're not capable of handling the material you picked up.
1: I'm glad I wasn't the only one who saw that guy writhing on that girl as being, like, sexual. Like, I just pictured the conversation those two actors would have beforehand as like, okay, I'm gonna be, like, shaking all over you and it's gonna be kind of like I'm fucking you. It was like, that was definitely something I saw
0: as well. So the two lead women go into the bathroom to hide, and so they're terrified, and the younger sister's having flashbacks of her horrible time. Right. You go back into the blue-tinged bus, and you see legs flying, you see people trying to go get away, you see the people getting screwed. I
1: loved the one woman getting cut in half as she's trying to climb out the window. That was kind of fun.
0: That was like screen with the garage door, right? And that was a really good visual, too. The effects were very good on that, the slice in half. So there's two different things going on here at the exact same time, and that was the only issue I had because if you want to do a terror movie, if you want to do a little more serious horror movie like terror horror, suspense horror, with the girls in the bathroom, fine. But if you're going to do a fish in a barrel, kill all the people you can, the shot of all the bloody hands against the window can be very, very disturbing. And you can't do that with all the elements. They just do not work. Separately, they work great. Together, they're not working at all.
2: The lazy movie is to make jokes about millennials and social justice and have this sloth-like character come in and kill them all. This lovable goon that is like, I've had it enough with cancel culture, I'm canceling them. That's one movie. You can make that That's a lowbrow comedy. But then you're telling me, here's a girl that's traumatized by school shooting, has tried to seek a place that does not have violence... And now has to face her worst fears by picking up a gun. And I feel like you have to be more respectful of that. You can't turn that into that dumb joke.
1: But that was obviously where this was going to go. When she first met Richter and sees Richter's semi-automatic AR-15 or whatever that was. And... She's holding it, and he's like, you ever shot one before? And she's like, I've been shot before, and that's where you really realize the school shooting. This is obviously the climax of the movie is going to be her with a gun shooting Leatherface. Tone, Arnie.
2: It's Yes, obviously that's the tone, but you want that to be a respectful tone. You want to be scared for her. You don't want to see the people that she's triggered by fucking with chainsaws. No. Like, that's not how you want to do it.
0: And at the end of that scene, before they get to the climax, they harken the Shining. With him cutting through the door and looking through the broken door. And that's bold as hell. Especially considering that that movie is terrifying and suspenseful and horrific and it's classic. Why on earth would you even try to replicate that here when you're having two different tones coming bashing together and they're not working at all. Maybe they're trying to bring it back around to some more terror, but there's a bad choice, I thought, to, to evoke The Shining at that moment.
2: Or maybe you're just dealing with inexperienced screenwriters and directors. I've never heard of this director before. I didn't see his previous film, and this writer hasn't worked before. It was produced by Fede Alvarez, but I'm not sure how involved. He didn't direct it. It's not the same screenwriter that he used for Don't Breathe. These are people that he just produced because he's trying to create bad ombre productions.
1: Everything I read is he was pretty involved, maybe not hands-on, but he was overseeing. It wasn't like he just let them run off to Bulgaria and didn't check up on them. I mean... He was the one who was trying to shepherd and promote this film's theatrical release, and then, yeah, that didn't happen.
2: Oh, no, he's invested in his production company, and this was supposed to be a real feather in his cap. And all I'm saying is, it's made by people that maybe haven't realized how to master tone. They know what cool scenes are, they know what cool moments are, they know a good gag when they see it, they're fans of the genre. I don't, they, they got bona fides. They could make a good movie, but tonally, what they've created here is a real mess. A mess that I'm more or less with. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I was more or less with this movie until the girls get out of the bus and Sally rides in. And then this
1: movie goes to shit. Why even bother having Sally in the movie? I thought this was the big point of this movie is like Halloween... 2018 right right. sally versus leatherface sally takes so long to get to the town and we have Mm -hmm. these scenes of her cutting the pig open we have the scenes of her finding the van and the body with the missing face but it's an hour into this 80 minute movie including like 10 minutes of credits that sally shows up and does very little she does save the girls the girls are pretty much trapped and about to be killed and sally distracts leatherface enough with a shotgun that doesn't hurt him that the girls are able to get away for a moment but the reunion here should mean something if she's been hunting him for 50 years this should really be cathartic and matter and he does away with her really fast
0: not only that She's angry at him for not remembering her because she was just another body, right? So that also accentuates the whole thing of, well, that's an interesting character moment, I guess. But it just heightens the fact that she's not really needed for this movie.
2: Yeah, it does. Unfortunately, like, why not make her more of a part of it is the, your question. And I think the answer is because we don't like her and it's not the real actress And she doesn't fit in with what we really want to attack, which is the young generation. So, she either matters or she doesn't. Like, you make it matter, you make it feel integrated, or you don't include it. Yeah, nobody cares about the first girl in the movie. At all. Just as they don't care who was the girl that got away at the end of Friday the 13th.
1: But here, this is supposed to be the point of the requel. And Halloween did it so well, and this movie so desperately wants to be Halloween 2018, that when she's screaming the names of the four victims of whom, yeah, I guess I remember Franklin the best, but she stabs him with a knife, she tries to shoot him with the shotgun, and he just chainsaws her in half, and then she gets to give her a moment of wisdom, as she's, she's been bisected with a chainsaw. I mean, he went right through her gut. She's still alive long enough to tell little Lila Don't run away. You'll be running away forever. So Lila has to turn around and face Leatherface because to survive with the survivor's guilt is worse than death by chainsaw, I guess.
0: And she already has survivor's guilt, as we're seeing in the movie previously. So that's another thing. I did like how Leatherface has the chainsaw, lifts her up in the air... And then throws her away like a highlight ball, right? Just throws her against the garbage. (laughs) I thought that was amazing visually. I thought that was really cool. The shot of him with her in the air was really great. I thought, uh, visually speaking, that entire sequence was awesome. Plot-wise, character-wise, all of that, empty. Visually, loved it.
2: Yeah, I also kind of like the idea that we're going to end it in a movie theater. It's kind of postmodern, that like the new generation is going to be the one to pick up the gun. Lila is... The new Sally, she has a similar story. She connected to it. She's going to finish it off by going into a movie theater filled with wet plastic tarps everywhere and pools of water
0: a dilapidated movie theater, is that a commentary on the industry currently of how no one goes to the theater anymore? and all falling apart because of a lack of use? You know,
1: if this movie had known it was not making it theatrically, I'd say it was a comment on the fact that this had to be dumped direct to Netflix's. See, you don't even need movie theaters, but how exactly <laughs> deep is that puddle in the movie theater? I know! And of course, this at this point, even Marge returns to me and goes, oh god, is this a symbolic baptism? I'm like, yes, It is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand how deep a puddle of water is in a movie theater. I mean, yes, obviously uh, there's been there for a while with rainwater, but it seemed very clear, crystal clear, almost like a fountain water. But yeah, how deep it was doesn't make any sense at all.
2: There's a metaphor there. A puddle of water that thinks it's deep is
1: exactly (laughs) what I'm
2: experiencing. (laughs)
1: But yes, this is her rebirth because when she crawls out of this, she is now ready to fully take on Leatherface. I guess,
2: although she's been, like, leather fuck and, like, screwing it up several times now. We've had several false hero moments of her looking badass and then not fulfilling the role. And it is her sister that is the one that, like, gets the chainsaw and cold cocks leather face. Like, it, it is not Lila that puts him down.
0: I loved that moment, and I loved the visual, the top-down camera angle of her screaming towards the sky. And I actually paused the scream because she had this look on her face of, like, Rar! and I paused it and looked at it, and I almost took a screenshot to send to you guys of her look of anger with her clenched teeth, that chainsaw. I love what she was doing there. I love that actress. But that top-down shot with Leatherface getting cold cock up the chin. Fantastic. And then they cut beautifully to him falling in the water. Visually, again, love the sequence.
1: You barely need to pause it because at this point they realize they're running short and do like two minutes in slow-mo here. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Including that shot. I felt like they did still frame that shot because it just lingers in this slow motion and he falls back into the water in slow-mo but his head is still attached to his body so i know he is not dead
0: he has an extra layer of skin on his face arnie so that's why it's hard to cut through (laughs) yeah right
1: (laughs) that that 85 year old skin is just not going to be cut with a 50 year old chainsaw
0: it is leathery It, it is leathery old person skin they are in texas with the sun you know it really takes a toll
1: And this has been all night, because when the girls leave the movie theater, it's going to be morning. And this was kind of a fun joke. I did like the fact that they were driving such a nice car. It had the self-driving capabilities. We saw that on the way into town. And so here they are. They are so calm. They're going to open up that sunroof and enjoy. After all their friends are killed, all their investors are killed, they're just going to sit back and have a relaxing autopilot
0: drive. Having watched the original Texas Chainsaw preparation for this movie, and I wish I had my time back. I couldn't, didn't have to bother. A couple of things that did point out to me that I would have otherwise noticed. At the end of the original movie, when she jumps out the window to escape Leatherface and the family, it is daylight again. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly why there's daylight here now. And if that's not exactly why, they're idiots.
2: I don't know really why you'd have the driverless car, but I'll give it to this moment because it's fun to see them restage the end. It's fun to see Lila now being, it's an inverse because she's getting away But she's horrified because Leatherface is dancing on her sister's corpse. And this is probably the most effective visual in the movie. Oh, yeah. Watching that sister lose her head is very convincing.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know how they did that effect. If this was on Blu-ray or something, I'm sure I'd be able to get it behind the scenes. But that person is moving like a human face and things and somehow they do the cgi where the head is coming off the body and it's just really really well done
0: Yeah, i agree
1: to do it in broad daylight too
0: it reminded me of how cleanly the bisecting was in the bus. We talked about it earlier. That I called the screenshot with the garage door, where the girl woman was bisected in half. That was also well done. But this one is a masterpiece. I couldn't believe how clean that looked, with her head just popping off, and then he's holding it the whole time too. You couldn't even tell where the cut was, where the seams are. It was so well done.
1: Mm-hmm. It is an effective horror movie slasher ending. As Lila is be- screaming in that car driving away, and she's going to safety at ten miles an hour on autopilot. Yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> and Leatherface does his little dance again, just like the first one. I he still got the moves fifty years later. Gotta give it to him.
0: Mm-hmm. I felt stupid at the end because. I actually thought the movie was going to end them driving away. I didn't realize they were going to have a final sting. And I'm saying to myself, after it happened, I'm like, of course they're going to have a final sting. Why wouldn't they? It's a horror movie. Maybe it's been so long since I've watched a slasher movie that the villain comes back for one last thing. I don't know why I didn't think of that, but I was convinced the movie was over and they were driving away.
1: I was too. I really was. I thought there would be a stinger that he wasn't dead. I didn't expect him... To pull Melody out of the car and just cut her head off so
0: quick. Oh, good. Then I don't feel so bad then. It wasn't just me. I felt like I should have known better. But yeah, I guess they really did a good job of convincing me, especially since the first one, she does get away, right? And at the scene and having just watched the original she does get away blah 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 so that's that's exactly what's going on so they combined it with a typical horror movie trope at the end I want to call
1: out though the best looking thing of this entire movie are these end credits I mean I love the static effects the close ups of the chainsaw the lighting this is just a great Nine Inch Nails music video going on here With I, I wish it had Nine Inch Nails like music but they do they took the atonal score of the original and set it to a dance beat
2: so you hear like those hens <laughs> creak like we're in the club in the rural texas (laughs)
0: cannibal house
1: yeah let me just say at rural texas clubs they're playing cotton eyed joe they're not playing
0: this the name's really big and they put them in the left hand corner a lot of the visuals in this at the end made me want to watch it you know i didn't know any of these names i didn't care about who the names were but it certainly made me watch it and i thought we're going to get a mid-credits scene like a Marvel movie because of these kinds of credits. I I thought they were trying to keep us sitting still so we see a mid-credit scene and I smartly just fast-forwarded to the end of the credits.
2: Yeah, so the point is that if they make a sequel, Leatherface will have that family. He is walking, limping back to the Sawyer farmhouse and presumably, I don't know how Grandpa can still be kicking it 50 years beyond what already looked like 100 years for him. Chop Top, The Chef, Maybe some other people have joined the family, but yes, that would be where you go
1: next. You would include the hitchhiker. But that doesn't look like the house to me. To me, it looked like a house. The house is still standing, and they've turned it into like a restaurant and B&B. You can go and stay at the house. Yeah, well, it's not in Bulgaria either. Arnie. <laughs> like they cannot,
2: they cannot do what they have. You get the point. Yes. It's it, again. I don't think this movie is asking you to study the original too closely. You just the idea that there were more killers, and Leatherface has gone home to them. What will it be?
0: Couldn't they just put a photo up, like you know, a CG, like or a, put him walking towards a green screen, and like then have the picture of the actual house that Lawrence Stewart? Couldn't they actually do that? Like,
2: I didn't need it to be a different image. I just am not necessarily anxious for more. I'll put it that way.
0: So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022? Stuart.
2: It's funny how expectations work. I had no idea that I could ever even get close to giving a green arrow. So when I watched this, I was like, ah, what a good red arrow this is. <laughs> like, I'm so impressed that this bad movie is this good. <laughs> it sounds like a contradiction. Maybe it is. But I guess what I want to stress is they had some ideas here. This wasn't a film completely bereft of originality, In fact, if they had followed their original voice maybe more closely and didn't feel the need to try and tie to that 73 movie, they might have had a much stronger film. Indeed, it's neither the best nor the worst of the series. I appreciate the fact that it tried to get political. I appreciate the fact that it tried to find empathy for both Leatherface and a school shooting victim. I appreciate that it had some stupid, fun kills on the bus and what have you. But ultimately they don't have a visionary to bring it all together. And I'm not saying Toby Hooper was some visionary, but he somehow wound up with a film that has real resonance, even 50 years later. You remember the way it makes you feel. You remember images burned in your head. I'll probably always remember the driverless car pulling away, but that in and of itself is a callback to what they did in the original. And there's just not a whole lot here that feels in spirit to what they're trying to do. And just not enough good new ideas for it to play as the millennial snowflake slaughterhouse that they sometimes want to be. So, I guess what I'm saying is I'll not recommend. It's okay if you're desperate, but
1: not a good film. Arnie. And I also, I came in expecting the utter worst, knowing that, yes, this got... Bad test screenings, and chat onto Netflix, and is only 80 minutes long, and... I mean, I, I was really reluctant even to watch this i probably wouldn't have if we weren't reviewing it i hadn't heard great things and as we often say on the show sometimes low expectations is a huge benefit to a movie because when you go in expecting the worst and it's not the worst it's like oh wow i'm having so much a better time than i thought i was going to have with this and so i really had to struggle with myself as to was i going to recommend this it wasn't the movie i wanted by far, it wasn't Halloween 2018, it definitely had its problems, but as a dumb slasher, as a middling Friday the 13th entry, is the visuals and some of the kills and everything enough here to warrant a weak recommend? In the end, I'm going to go weak not recommend, basically because I feel like they've wasted the first half hour of this film before the face gets cut off and the chainsaw comes out. There's a lot of time spent with the entrepreneurs talking about the town driving into the town dealing with the sheriff you know having that moment where they're kind of making the comment on police and treatment of African Americans where Dante has to keep his hands on the wheel and everything they try to bring so much into this movie that never pays off and if they could have streamlined that first 30 minutes I'd say and really made it a more enjoyable experience, then I probably would have recommended this. But as it is, it was a very slow start to a very mediocre middle, and so that's a we cannot recommend.
0: So it's going to be historic here, because if you look at our... Texas Chainsaw Retrospective at nowplayingpodcast.com in the, sec- in the section. And you'll see so many of these movies have one green arrow and two red. And most of the time, I think it's Arnie who says recommend and the two of us say no. And there's a couple of times where all three, you know, Stuart and I were the two and whatever. But I-, I saw the same movie that Arnie saw. I had the exact same reactions that Arnie saw. I-, I remember talking about when we talked about License to Kill in the James Bond series. It's not a good James Bond movie. The same terminology. It's not a good James Bond movie, but it's a good action movie. This movie, which its biggest flaw, in my opinion, is that it wants you to remember the 1974 movie. And they keep trying, they keep talking about how it's linked, and they have John Larroquette back, and they talk about the links, the links, the links, trying to be like Halloween reboot from 2018 with the Jamie Lee Curtis aspects of it. And that is the weakest part. If you did not connect it to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that way, you could still have a chainsaw cutting guy on that bus and all that, and it would still work. But the biggest liability, the biggest albatross is that. Because it's nothing like the tension or the scary of that first one, right? But as a slasher, there's so many original kills, some great, surprisingly great visuals, shot setups... The gore is really well done. We talked about how the visuals work out really well at the end. And the cinematography, for God's sake, is pretty is surprisingly good. There is actually some more than competent filmmaking going on here. And they just need to work on that script and tone, as we talked about. Kind of reminded me also of the uh, 2003 Texas Chainsaw version. This one works as a more entertaining horror movie than a Texas Chainsaw movie. So I'm going to go on the side of a weak recommend because Mm. there's enough here to entertain as a slasher movie, and it's terribly short. Mm -hmm. I greatly liked what Sarah Yarkin was doing the whole time. I thought she was really good in this movie, and I hope she works more. I I think she... I I didn't even remember she was in Happy Death Day, too. So here she, to me, gives us something of a standout performance of everybody else, and ideally we'll see her become more of a scream queen as we go, but who knows? We'll see. She has like three credits to her name. So yeah, I think there's enough here for me to give a weak recommend because there are aspects here, but I'm the sole Green Arrow... Not Arnie, which is uh, unexpected, just like the rest of this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I came close. Yeah. But yeah, that is a shock. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I went upstairs after watching the movie. And I said to my wife, darn it, if I didn't enjoy myself. Like, there's enough here to enjoy. So I can't believe this. I'm probably going to recommend this. And so, yeah, I'm going to stick to my guns. Uh, weak recommend for Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. To
1: be honest, I'm glad somebody recommended it. Me too. You know, I came close, and I think we all pretty much saw the same movie. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of down the middle on it. There's some good kills in here. You could do worse. We've done worse. We've done, and like Stuart said, we've done worse in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series.
0: Oh, for sure. Like it's was like, if there's nine movies, and I recommended, what, three of them now, and- some of them came closer than others, but this is a pretty good... For this series, it seems like a freaking masterpiece, but some really stinkers in this series.
2: Yeah. Naviga Mortison Mortensen. I dare, does anyone even remember the last one? The one with Lily Taylor that took place in the 50s? I mean, that happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, the one I remember most as the most recent is the Do Your Thing Cuz right. 3D one, so... I don't really remember the 50s one that much. But still, and I think we've said this before, this has like the worst legacy of the classic slasher series, right? I mean, Halloween, Mm, Leprechaun.
0: Would you call that a classic series? Like, I think what Arnie's saying is this one kind of teeters on it belongs with Jason and Freddy Mm -hmm. in the Pantheon. Okay, And I don't think Leprechaun... The only reason Leprechaun's in the same sentence is because there's six or seven of them and people remember the stupid commercials for them. You know what I mean? It's he, He's like a lower tier.
2: Fair enough. He has some legitimacy because of the first movie, maybe the remake. But yes, Leatherface in general is in crappy movies.
0: He's never going to be Michael Myers. He's never going to be Jason or Freddy for sure. He's not even Chucky. He's not even, but not even Chucky. Because Chucky has an MO. Chucky has something going for him, <laughs> believe it or not. And we've said this before. Look, this movie's getting panned. This movie's getting not a lot of good reviews. Most people who are watching it probably feel the same way we do, but the critics are being harsh.
2: And Brock, I do wonder if you had to pay money and go sit in a movie theater right now, if you would have been a little less entertained. It really does help. I know we shouldn't look at the venue in which it's produced, but it really does help that you can just hit click, watch it, and then forget about it.
0: Well, that's funny you should say that because I did not help me with Halloween Kills, the last Halloween movie. I didn't care where I watched it. I just didn't like it. So I understand your point, but I think what Arnie said about having the lowest of expectations, that's definitely helped here for yeah. sure. There's no question about that.
2: I think we have a little bit higher expectations for another killer returning. Next week, we're going to the Batman.
0: I had low expectations when that was announced. The casting was curious to me, but damn, what I've seen so far from the pictures and that first preview, I'm very hopeful that you guys will see a great Batman movie to review next week.
1: I'm seeing it tonight. I'm seeing it the night this show comes out. Nice. I got tickets to the fan early screening. So I'm seeing it on Tuesday and I will be seeing it again. So I'll have two viewings under our belt when we review it next week. And if you are a gold level patron on Podbean or on Patreon, then you will get to hear that show unedited and early. We're recording Saturday morning, and I hope to have the mostly unedited show out Saturday afternoon, so you can sign up for those at nowplayingpatron.com for Podbean, or just head to patreon.com forward slash nowplayingpodcast, and if you do that, At $25, you're also going to hear our Harry Potter reviews. Last Friday, we released The Prisoner of Azkaban.
0: Oh no, he's out! You let him out of the prison? Oh no!
1: (laughs) And this Friday, we're going to be reviewing The Goblet of Fire.
0: And that's the three of us, actually, also. So if you're enjoying the three of us talking, go over to the patron and hear us talk about Harry Potter and all those fun wizards. We're having a really great time in that series. and I hope you can join us. Agreed. It's uh,
1: Brock, I'm really glad you're with us on that. You bring a lot of storied history <laughs> t- as a fan of Harry Potter.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm a wizard. I really do enjoy that series. It's something that I'm able to enjoy, uh, not only with friends over these years, but now with my family. So it's really been uh, an absolute joy to talk about it with you guys. Some of those conversations have been really fun.
1: And if even if you're not a donor, you can hear the three of us talk about it every Thursday on booksandnachos.com, where we three are reviewing the original J.K. Rowling books. And then on Friday, if you are a gold-level patron or a gold-level donor, you can hear us discuss the movies as well.
0: Guys, do you think we're ever going to have to uh, put more gas in the chainsaw? Apparently, you don't have to do that. I didn't know that after 40 years of a, ge- of a chainsaw sitting in a wall. But I really don't think we're ever going to return to this series, but maybe I just jinxed us. That, we mean five more years, they'll try it yet again to bring Leatherface out.
1: Every five years, they're going to pump one of these out. It doesn't matter. I just, I, I, I'm i guessing it won't have the ambitions of this one, but this series just is never dying. It's just going to keep going. It's going to outlive me. We'll get another
2: one. It won't be a continuation of this. No. So we won't have Elsie Fisher coming back to, you know, wreak havoc against Chop Top. Like, no, that's this was a failed effort in my opinion it won't can come back but one man's trash is another
0: man's new franchise so
2: yes somebody will try again someone will
0: always try again and now playing will be there to review it
2: unless it's a tv
0: series (laughs) so guys thanks a lot we'll be talking next week already but until then vroom vroom
2: no he's out there with a chainsaw No, he had a chainsaw. He was chasing me with a chainsaw.
0: Thank you for listening to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre retrospective series from Now Playing. It's what the public wants! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we cut into a new installment in this classic franchise.
2: People may not remember what we say here tonight, but they sure as shit gonna remember what we do.
0: You can find other Now Playing retrospective series such as Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Terminator, Star Trek, and others at our website. Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Go to NowPlayingPodcast.com and click the archives link to find those series, as well as individual movie reviews such as Avatar and Inception.
2: we got the means, we got the machine.
0: You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post new episodes, and the Now Playing hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Welcome to my world! Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. If you enjoy Now Playing, please support the show. First, I'm going to kill you. It ain't no fucking biggie. And you can join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. If you need anything, just twitch. (laughs) Now playing, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series is edited by Arnie.
2: Boys, you never should have been doing this.
0: Now playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Canon Films, Columbia Pictures, or Platinum Dunes. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the intellectual property of its copyright and trademark holders, and no infringement is intended. Right, all right, all right. Now playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. to kind of speak plain I saves time. Razzos. Razzos. Yippee-yay.
2: I'm glad they don't go into the opium crisis. <laughs> this, this police man, like, crashes into a poppy field, and I'm like, oh, God, don't tell me this family is the one that that... Spread all of the opiates, uh, you know.
0: See, I thought that was dead sunflowers. Maybe I'm just naive about what opiates look like. Oh, you might oh, be right. Okay.
2: Yeah, now, they did make something about sunflowers earlier when Mel talked with the sheriff. She said her grandma was from here and they had an expression. When Harlow sunflowers bloom, winter is doomed. So, yes, you're probably right. That was probably a sunflower field, but I was thinking drugs. All right,
0: then. We can talk about it during our intervention (laughs) later, Stuart. We'll talk about that.
1: Somebody's been watching too much Ozark. Yes,
0: seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, guys, thanks a lot. We'll be talking next week already, but uh, until then, we don't have a tagline for this series. Vroom vroom. I, I don't know. We'll we'll this on. I
1: like that. Until next vroom. time. Vroom vroom. It's silly as
0: hell, but... it's like a Volkswagen commercial. But okay,
2: <laughs> is that the show? That's really how yeah, we're, we're going, going out. Going out on vroom vroom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay.
0: It was a joke, but okay, let doing? do Vroom vroom. Bye. I'm hanging. I'm... <laughs> and a self driving car. Vroom vroom.